I'm going to start my clock. For those of you outside, welcome. So glad you're here. Those of you inside, stoked to be with you. If we haven't met yet, my name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to this church plant as the lead pastor on eldership. My wife, Ebony, Herrick, and Heather Berga. Just so glad to be here with you guys this morning on this beautiful Mother's Day. Okay. There we go. Yes. No one really cares about moms, I guess, in this room. I, for one, I love moms. Thank you guys so much for everything that you do. Uh, Really quickly, kind of housekeeping piece. We forgot to mention it earlier. There's some treats over there for mom that some of the team put together, so you can check that out um, uh, later if you want, next to kind of the Eat and Speak journals. Uh, Listen, I want to just take a moment to recognize that Mother's Day can be like wonderful for many, uh, but it can also be really painful. And so I just want to kind of say today, wherever you are on that spectrum, uh, you are free to rejoice and you are free to grieve and you're not alone in either. Okay. This is a household of faith. This is the family of God. And we stand shoulder to shoulder with you, no matter what your experience is. And I would hear, like, hear me say, like, happy Mother's Day. Um, I want to just take a moment and just say that ladies in the room, every single woman in this room, you were made in the image of God. Okay, that's, that's a profound truth. You're made in the image of God. God has uniquely created every single lady in here, especially some of you young, young ladies, hear me. God has created every single one of you to nurture, to care for, and to sacrificially love others. That's what mothering is. That's what mothering is. And hear me, that is not limited to biology. So each of you, created by God to spiritually mother specific people. So today, we honor you, we celebrate you, we see you as the gift from God that you are to the people around you, that includes us. So we honor you. God bless moms in the room, okay? This morning, in addition to honoring, celebrating moms, we are, uh, we are continuing on in our series that we've titled Reset. Um, it, it's all about this idea of renewing our devotion to Jesus and his ways. Okay, 2020 was a chaotic year. It, dis, it caused a lot of disorientation in a lot of people and a lot of households. And along with that disorientation came kind of a reordering of priorities in our lives. Some, in some good ways, and also in some kind of unhealthy ways. And so the heartbeat behind this series, I think we're like, gosh, I think we're five weeks in on this series now, is we've been exploring this idea of what's it going to look like for us to hit the reset button as a church? Like, what are we actually going to devote ourselves to as disciples of Jesus? How's it going to play out? How's it going to look moving forward? How do we renew our devotion to Jesus and his ways? If you've missed any of the messages in this series, I highly encourage you. Uh, I'm not, I don't typically like plug sermons, but like I highly encourage you, listen back to those. And the reason I'm encouraging you to do that is because it's going to inform so much of where we're going as a church family. Okay, reset, renewing our devotion to Jesus and his ways. Today, we are going to talk about a topic that I believe is something that most modern people really don't like. And that's authority. Authority. I want you to consider something for just a moment, okay? I want you to think of some examples of authority in your life. Go ahead, get your brain working. Think of some examples of authority in your life. 
of those things that you can think of, which of those do you find yourself like actually submitting to? So it might exist as an authority, but which of those authorities do you actually submit to? And if you submit to those authorities that you're thinking of, do you do it out of duty or do you do it out of delight? I want you to start thinking for you personally, this idea of what are some examples of authority? Do you submit to them out of delight or out of duty? Now, on the flip side, I want you to start thinking about some examples of authority that you possess. So what kind of authority has been entrusted to you for others? What kind of things come to mind? Now, I think you would agree with me. I think we would all agree that authority is not something that we embrace in our culture, okay? especially in America. And my question this morning is why? Why? Why are we so opposed to authority? Why is it like a dirty word? Why for some of you, when you hear me talk about this this morning, you're already going like, I don't want to be here. Why are we so opposed to authority? I want to, before we jump into the scriptures, I just want to propose quickly, just to kind of get your minds working, I want to propose two main reasons why we are not stoked on authority, why we oppose it. The first reason is because of what happens to us. We see authority get abused in certain ways and it starts to develop a mistrust in us, the things that happen to us. I mean, we've seen this, you see this happen in the church even? We can start there, okay? I have some friends in Boston. I have a church planter friend in Boston and he was kind of giving me some rundown on, on the city of Boston and the history and like, if you're familiar with Boston, you know like the Catholic church's presence in Boston is like historically, it's, it's been there. But the problem is, is that there's been a lot of scandal in the church in Boston, specifically in the Catholic church as it pertains to abusive kids. You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't want to, I want to kind of talk in code here. So there's this, there's these awful things happening. And that the cities, the city of Boston's relationship with the Catholic church is one of mistrust in a big, big way. And I, I, let's just be real. This is, a, this is a fairly churched area of the country. This is a fairly churched area of the state, all right? Many of you, I know this firsthand, many of you here in the room, you've had awful, you've had painful, devastating even, experiences with church leadership in a way that's caused you, as a result, to mistrust that authority. You get in this picture of what happens to us can start to develop mistrust in us with authority, Okay, not just in the church, but think about the government. I mean, you have politicians that are governing, governing in corrupt and, and dishonest and immoral ways, oftentimes for their own personal gain. We all would agree on this, regardless of what side of the aisle you identify with more. But hear me, just like in the church, right? Not all church leaders abuse authority, but some do. And sadly, it results in mistrust. Not all politicians abuse authority, but some do. And sadly, it results in mistrust. And let me just throw out a, like a hot topic. One more for you. Hot button issue right now, the black community and law enforcement. Man, not all people in law enforcement abuse authority, but some do. And sadly, it results in mistrust. Are you with me in this idea? 
that one of the reasons why we're so opposed to authority is because of our experience, because of what happens to us when we see, when we experience authority being abused, okay? Now, the other thing, the other, the other reason why we oppose authority is not because of what happens to us, but because of what happens in us, external and internal. And it's this idea of like, I don't know if you guys ever feel this way, but sometimes I think I know better. I know better than you do. Don't tell me what to do. Like, I think we'd all agree. Oftentimes we think us being in control is probably the best thing. We love control. This is what the Bible refers to as pride. We resist and oppose authority for two reasons, because of what what happens to us and what's happening in us. You with me? Okay, so... I propose to you that the reason we're so opposed to authority isn't because authority is bad. It's not a bad thing. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Sin out there, things done to us, and sin in here in the form of pride. Now, where am I going with this? The New Testament is super clear on something. The New Testament, it tells us that Jesus, God in the flesh, he came preaching a very specific message. Do you know what the message he came preaching was? The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay, gospel, if you're not familiar, it means good news. It's, a little, it's like a report of really good news. The kingdom of God. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? It's not just like where you go when you die. The kingdom of God is when God is king. It's when he rules, it's when he reigns, it's, it's his way, God's way. So the kingdom of God, that was Jesus' message. He came preaching the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus' message was submitting to God's authority is really good news. It's a really good thing for the human, okay? And again, all of us to a certain degree, because of your life experiences, because of what's happening into you, because of the brokenness of sin, we're all opposed to authority. We're all opposed to authority. But hear me say this. If we as a church, if we're going to be a church that's truly devoted to Jesus, like we read about in the scriptures and like we dream about in our hearts, if we're going to be a church that's truly devoted to Jesus in his ways, we must understand authority, not from the world's perspective, but from God's perspective. And not only do we have to understand it, like actually wrap our brains around it, but we have to embrace it. So go ahead, grab your Bible. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. I have a lot to go through, so I'm going to pray quickly so I don't feel rushed. And then we're going to jump into the scriptures. Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally cool. uh, The words will be on the screen for you. Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are always present and you are always good. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us this morning about what kingdom authority looks like, authority in your kingdom. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me to honor and to serve the precious people in this room this morning. Um, Spirit, we need you. Would you teach us? Would you encourage us? Would you inspire us? Would you challenge us even to bring about more freedom in our lives? Show us about what it looks like to live with you as king and the benefits thereafter. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this passage that we're going to go into, uh, Mark chapter 10, we're going to read verses 42 through 45. This should sound familiar for some of you. 
Uh, we just recently went through this as one of the passages in our New Testament in 90 Days campaign. And so what we're about to read here, this is a, uh, this is a teaching moment, okay? This is a teaching moment between Jesus and his disciples about true authority, about kingdom authority, about what it looks like in God's kingdom, okay? Let's jump in here. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 42. It says this. Jesus called them, the them as his disciples. He called the disciples over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, Gentiles just means non-Jews. So these rulers, he's painting a picture of authority here over people. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. Listen to this. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right. I want to talk about three things today in regards to authority. What it is, what's its purpose, and why it matters. Okay? What it is, what's its purpose, and why it matters for you and for me and for us. All right? Let's chat about this. What it is. Here's an authority, or here's a definition for, of authority for you quickly. Authority is the right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Now, in this passage, I don't know if you noticed it, but Jesus is contrasting here. He's contrasting how authority works within two different kingdoms. Okay, so whether you are kind of a sci-fi nerd or whether you are a history nerd or whatever, I want you to think two different kingdoms, two different almost nations, if you will, with two different rulers, right? He's contrasting the kingdom of God, where God is king, and the opposing kingdom, the kingdom of the world. Maybe you'll hear... uh, kind of Christianese type language of like, oh, it's worldly and it's the kingdom of the world. When you hear that, it's just talking about a kingdom that's in opposition to God's kingdom. All right? The world, if you read the scriptures, it really doesn't, it doesn't often contrast heaven and hell. It contrasts heaven and earth. This idea of an opposing kingdom on the earth, the world. You're tracking with me? Okay, great. So he says that they're different. Okay. But the difference is not in how they define authority. The difference is in its purpose. Let's talk about my second point here. What is its purpose? What is authority's purpose? Um, As we read through this passage, did you catch what the purpose of authority is within the kingdom of God? It's serving others. That's the purpose of authority within God's kingdom, to serve others. Okay? Hear me. The essence of Christianity is that Almighty God uses his authority to serve the sinner. That's crazy. That's unlike any other person in authority you've ever seen or heard about. To give his life as a ransom for many. We just need to pause for a moment. I got a lot of information to kind of try to teach, but... There's nothing more beautiful in the world than Almighty God, creator of all things, putting on flesh in the person of Jesus, 
coming to earth, a place where every single human being rejects him in his ways, living perfectly as their substitute, dying the death they deserve as their substitute, to freely offer them reconciliation both to God and to each other, to to live in his kingdom, his good and perfect kingdom, where sin, Satan, and death have no place. That's the God we're talking about here. There's nothing cooler than that. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Every story of every movie that you've ever loved is is a redemption narrative. It's written on your heart. That's the story that we're talking about here in the person of Jesus, okay? So listen, the purpose of authority in God's kingdom is what? Service to others. Can you say that with me? Service to others. That's the purpose of authority in God's kingdom, okay? So on the other hand, the purpose of authority in the world, it's still service. Hear me, it's still service, but instead of authority being used to serve others, it's used to serve self. And you can see and experience the difference. Just look around. Uh, look back at verse 45 again. This just spectacular verse. For even Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So verse 45 makes it pretty clear, all right? Authority in God's kingdom is used to serve. Authority in the world is used to be served. So here's my question. Do you realize what this means? Do you realize what this means, that authority in God's kingdom is used to serve? Hear me. Authority God's way, especially within the church, exists for your benefit. For your benefit. It's literally a blessing and a gift from God to serve you. Let that sink in for a second. Almighty God serving you. I want to look at this at greater detail because for some of you, I know that this is probably like, "Ah, I'm not tracking with you. This isn't making sense, okay? What does authority look like within the church, okay? I want you to think of the global church. All right, I don't know if you know this, but you are part of a much bigger story, a worldwide all-time story of God redeeming the earth, starting with individual people. Okay, So when we talk about the global church, we're talking about every Christian, past, present, future, on every continent, in every country, everywhere. The global family of God, that's the global church, okay? And then you have local expressions of the global church, right? So you have a a community of people that are expressing their, their membership to the body of Christ, the global church, with in specific ways, with specific people in a specific location, So you have the global church and the local church, okay? I want to focus on authority within the local church, all right? And there are really three sources of authority that make up the authority structure, if you will, within a local church. The first first authority, piece of authority is God, okay? He's the king. He's the ultimate authority, right? And then you have the second, which is God's word, which informs us, it's his glorious gift to inform us about God and his kingdom ways. That's the Bible, right? God's word. It informs us about God, what he's like, what his kingdom ways are like, what life in his kingdom looks like. So God, God's word, and then the third piece of authority within a local church is God's people. God's people, okay? And hear me, 
the authority that God's people possess within the church is, is to reinforce something. It's to reinforce the beauty and the truth of a different authority, and that is God's word. So these people, they're reinforcing the beauty and the truth of God's word with each other. So the people of God's authority comes not because of their opinion or because of even necessarily their role, but because of God's word. So that's the appeal that we're making. So hear me. A healthy Christian who is practicing the way of Jesus will have these three sources of authority in their life. God, God's word, and God's people. The first two, God and his word, really straightforward. But the third one, God's people. Again, we are people who what? We oppose authority in our lives. We can, we can, we can get with like, yeah, well, God, he should be an authority, his word, yeah, there's authority. But other people? Ugh. What does it mean that God's people have authority over each other within the church? Let's talk about it. If you read the New Testament, you will see a bunch of, uh, I guess, commands for God's people to treat each other in certain ways, to engage with each other in certain ways. So it's like pray for one another, admonish one another, uh, serve one another, bless one another. There's a bunch of different one another's. There's one specific one another here that is massive. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter five, verse 21. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation quickly. He says this, and further, hear me, submit to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some of you ladies, you're cringing because I just said the S word, submit, because you know that so oftentimes when the church talks about this idea of submitting, it's talking about wives submitting to husbands. That's beautiful and amazing, but we're talking about something much more comprehensive here. We're talking about, like this is, this is referring to mutual submission. Mutual submission, and it's all based on reinforcing the authority of God's word with each other. Not my opinion because I'm a pastor, or your opinion because you're a member of the body of Christ. No, going back to God, the authority of God's word, we're reinforcing this, and that's where the mutual submission happens, okay? Keep something in mind. If you're anything like me, your mind's already drifting into a worldly approach to authority. This is not a worldly approach to authority. This is on the basis of serving each other in love. This implies something, okay? When it says submit to one another within the church, it implies that we're both responsible to each other and for each other. Track with me for a second. Responsible to each other and for each other. When you're responsible to someone, right, that means that that other person has authority in your life. You're responsible to them. They have a certain level of authority in your life. When you're responsible for someone, you, moms, you know this, you have authority in their life. So it's this picture of mutual authority. Are you guys tracking with this? Responsible to people, you, they have authority over you. Responsible for people, you have authority over them. There's implications here. And the result of this is mutual submission. Again, the authority exists, why? To serve. It's for someone else's benefit to love them, not to control them, not to lord it over them like Jesus talks about. Um, my gospel community, 
we meet together every week for the Lord's Supper, uh, typically at my house on Tuesday nights. And it is like genuinely one of, if not the highlight of my week. I love my gospel community. I love being with them. I love exploring the goodness of Jesus with them. I love breaking bread together and eating and drinking with them. I love my time celebrating the Lord's Supper with my gospel community. Maybe like, I don't know, two or three months ago-ish, we're getting to the end of the night and I'm kind of facilitating the discussion that night. And as we're getting ready to close, Ebony goes, hey, can I mention something really quickly? And I was like, yes, one second. And I kind of finished sharing some things. And then I closed the meeting. I just saw some of you husbands cringe. <laughs> I closed the meeting. And I, did, I like, look, in my mind, I'm just like, I'm just in leadership mode. And my friend Scott comes up to me pretty much right away, pulls me aside, and he goes, dude, do you realize what you just did? And I was like, no, man, what are you talking about? And he goes, you totally just dismissed your wife. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I just lit into Scott. I was like, who do you think you are? (laughs) No, I didn't do that. He was totally right. Like I disregarded her. It genuinely wasn't on purpose, but I didn't consider her. I dishonored her publicly, which means I dishonored Jesus publicly, which means I dishonored my community, my church publicly. Like he was right. And here's the thing. He didn't do that to shame me. He didn't, it wasn't like a power play. Like, it's not what was happening. He didn't do it to humiliate me. He pulled me aside and he loved me. He served me. And I genuinely, I submitted, you're, you're right, man. I don't want to live that way. And he knows I don't want to live that way because we have this relationship where we're in the church together, where we want to follow Jesus. We're on the same page. He served me. So I submitted to him. I repented to, to God. I, I don't want to live that way, Lord. That's not the kind of husband I want to be. I went to my wife, I apologized to her, she forgave me, and unity resumed. It was beautiful, it was great. Hear me, if a person's goal and their agenda is to experience God's will in their life, to enjoy him and obey him, to live his way, his kingdom, right? If that's their goal and agenda, having other people assist you in living that way is an amazing benefit. I don't have to be insecure Guess what? I'm part of the church. Do you know what that means? That means I need the blood of Jesus to cover my sins just like you do. I'm just as messed up. I'm just as needy for grace and forgiveness. And I have people in my life who love me, who I'm responsible to them and I'm responsible for them. And the same thing is true of every brother and sister in the family. So listen, whether it's negative behavior like it was for me in that moment, or if it's big life decisions, right? Like I'm thinking about moving or I'm thinking about changing my job or I'm thinking about getting married. The people of God submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. They, they serve each other by helping each other embrace God and his ways more fully. It's, it's teamwork. And, and teamwork makes the dream work, baby. All right, there's one more element here quickly of how God's people have authority in each other's lives, and that's pastors. Okay, let's talk about this quickly. Actually, look, flip over to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. 
Verse 17, we'll have it on the words, the words on the screen for you. Quick, I want to read this to you. Talking about pastors, the authority of pastors. Let me just say something really quick. You guys, you guys still with me? Okay. I know some of you have been like really hurt by pastors before. And I just want to tell you I'm really sorry. It's a real thing. Um, and I just feel like some of you need to hear that this morning. On behalf of every imperfect pastor everywhere, I'm really sorry. God's intention for you is for you to experience the joys of living under his authority. And sometimes people mess that up. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, strong language, okay, get ready. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Since, listen to this, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable to you. This verse weighs more heavily on me than any other verse in the Bible because it says that as a pastor, I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for the ways that I exercise authority, service to his people. It's heavy. Um, I'm, going to make, I'm going to say a bold statement. There's people that are stepping into leadership positions, specifically pastoral positions, that shouldn't be doing this because they don't take this seriously. And the moment I don't, I shouldn't be doing it. I'm not saying that to criticize anyone. I'm saying that to honor God and his word and his people who are precious. So I want to talk about this for a second. What is a pastor? What is an elder? Um, Those two words are used synonymously in the New Testament. A pastor is an elder. An elder is a pastor. Okay, maybe you've heard of like churches that have a board of elders. Um, We don't don't have that. Uh, We're not a corporation. We don't have a board. What we have is a team of pastors, a team of elders. And when I say elders, I'm not talking about in terms of age, like biological age. I'm talking about spiritual maturity and responsibility, okay? Kingdom leadership is about influence and responsibility. That's what it is. Because again, it exists for service, okay? So it's not in terms of age. If you read the New Testament, uh, Paul writes letters to, to his son in the faith, his spiritual son, Timothy, okay? Timothy was young in age, yet he was biblically qualified and mature. And in fact, Timothy led the church in Ephesus, as a young man, okay? Now, scripture uses three Greek words interchangeably when it's referring to a pastor or an elder. Again, they're synonymous, right? But these three different words, I'm gonna go through this quickly. The first one is presbyteros, and that's where we get the word elder. It means to, to, to govern and administrate the affairs of the church. Church is not a building. Church is not an event. Church is not an organization. Church is the family of God, okay? Uh, the second one, Episkopos, and that means overseer or guardian. Poimain, the third one, means shepherd. It means like to care for God's flock. For our church, currently we have two pastor elders, myself and Herrick, along with our wives. And hear me, Herrick and I are equal in authority. We are equal in authority. Now, as a church, we do believe in captaincy, in terms of like when it comes to vision, right? So I provide, I, I provide uh, uh, the captaincy in regards to being the lead pastor, but we have equal authority, all right? I know that sounds weird, but you see this in the Trinity. 
So it's not like just my opinion. You see God the Father providing captaincy within the Trinity, the triune God. But he's not better than the Son or better than the Spirit. No, there's full unity here. Herrick and I, we submit to each other. We submit to the authority of Scripture. We submit to God. And we submit to the other members of this church family. Um, I feel like I had a fairly good upbringing. Like I really did. Like there are no perfect parents. There are no perfect dads, but I feel like my dad specifically, he was just really consistent in my life. I can't look at you right now. I'm going to cry. He was, he was, he was really consistent in my life and the life of my family. And I'm so grateful for him. He cared for us. Like he spent like time, quality time. He spent money, lots of money. He spent energy. Why? On my well-being and on the well-being of my family. He, like, he sacrificed a ton. He worked really hard. I mean, he taught me how to do so many things from, you know, riding my bike to playing guitar to telling the truth. He taught me all kinds of things. I, as a kid, I loved basketball. It was like my life. Me and Bobby played basketball together. I just, I loved basketball. Like, it was my life. So my dad, like, sacrificed, installed a basketball hoop in the front yard so that we could play. And not like a crappy basketball hoop, like a good one. Like, it was a sacrifice for our family to do that. He did that. I loved music as a kid. I loved, I, I, my background is I'm a bit of a musician, and I got to have some awesome experiences growing and developing, uh, playing music and playing music with people and that kind of thing. And he helped me get, like, good equipment. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll save that for another time. He helped me get good equipment, not the bare minimum, like the good stuff. And here's the thing. As amazing as all those things are, most importantly, he helped integrate me into an environment where I experienced the love of Jesus. My earthly dad introduced me to my real father in heaven. And he's been encouraging me to follow Jesus passionately ever since. Listen to me, friends. Pastors are spiritual fathers. That's what they are. A father has authority in the lives of their children, but they use that authority, why? To serve their family. A a, a father's primary concern is the well-being and flourishing of his family, not his own comfort or his own amusement. The same is true for a pastor, biblically speaking. Our pastor, our pastor's primary concern is the well-being and flourishing of his family, and we're committed to doing whatever it takes to see this family pursue, enjoy, obey Jesus passionately. Our church, one of the things you learn about us is we really value multiplication. It's like a one of our six values, actually. I believe that there are several men in this church that will be called to eldership sometime in their lifetime. And God will add more to the team as God directs. Um, I want to mention one more thing here. I'm going to go long. Sorry, guys. Ladies, ladies in the room, please hear me. You are equal in value to men. I'm going to say that again because you don't hear it often enough. You are equal in value to men. Culture will tell you otherwise. 
It will tell you that you're defined by all sorts of stupid things. Sorry, not stupid things. That was too strong. Um, Thanks, Trace. You are equal in value to men. We as a church, we do not believe that God gives spiritual gifts based on biology. There are not certain spiritual gifts that are like only for men. We believe that, that women can and should lead in the church. Influence and responsibility, that's what leadership is. So women can and should lead in the church. This includes providing leadership to, other, to, to the men. We believe that, that women can and should teach and preach in the church. This includes teaching men. Women are made in the image of God just as much as a man is. This church, our church family, needs women just as much as it needs men. And hear me, so does the world. And no doubt there are some of you that are like thinking already, like, Tom, what about 1 Timothy 2? I've read it. 1 Timothy 2 says women aren't supposed to teach with authority. I I am convinced that that passage is referring to the authority of eldership. Because, here's why because there are examples all over the Old Testament and the New Testament of women teaching men. Like, I'll go through a couple of examples for you really quickly if you don't believe me. Old Testament, you have Deborah. Deborah was a judge over the nation of Israel. Okay, that's like the highest authority, the highest office of authority. In the New Testament, you have Priscilla, right? Her husband, Aquila. Priscilla, it says, teaches Apollos, a man, how to preach. You have Phoebe, who delivered the letter to the Romans. I guarantee you that she spoke, and I guarantee you there were men listening. There's more examples, okay? When the Bible speaks of eldership being men only, which I believe it does, it's referring to the role of spiritual fathering. It's it's sort of like how a man isn't a mother. Doesn't mean a man is less than, doesn't mean a woman is less than. There's beautiful, complementary ways that God has created us for the benefit of each other and for his glory. So I just want to be clear. Women, equally important to men, equally valuable. This church backs you. We need your leadership. We need spiritual mothers of all ages, of all stages. You with me? Okay, if you're offended by this, you can talk about it after the message. So, recap. Pastor, elder, same thing. They are spiritual fathers that provide oversight, care, and shepherding to a local church, okay? It's a unique role with authority, but why? Not worldly authority. To serve God's people. They're spiritual fathers, okay? So just to review, three elements of authority within a local church, God, God's word, and God's people, okay? God's people involve brothers and sisters and pastors and leaders. So it's both and, okay? And a local church is born, it's birthed, when these three elements of authority are in place. It's birthed when those three elements, or these three elements of authority are in place, and when, and when there is mutual agreement and submission to all three. It's sort of like DTR, defining the relationship. What are we doing? It's about getting on the same page. Okay, will you guys throw that diagram up there for me? I made a diagram for you, for you this morning. It's kind of, again, my, my PowerPoint skills are lacking, in some major ways. Uh, but here's what this diagram is. It, it's the layers of living under God's authority. 
And listen, this doesn't just apply to like our church. This isn't like restored churches in the center. This is like every local church, every amazing expression of the global church locally. You guys with me in this? I want to make sure we're on the same page. Okay. Now, there are different local churches because there's different interpretations of God's word. So if God's word is going to be an authority to God's people, how you interpret that word is going to influence everything that you do. And it's going to influence the specific people who are pastoring and leading that church. So the reason you have different local churches is because they interpret God's word differently and then there's different leaders. So for instance, if you believe, like Catholics and Protestants, they interpret God's word differently, so they express their discipleship to Jesus differently. Therefore, it's a different expression of the local church. You with me in this? I could spend more time, but I'm, I'm running late. So if you look at the center here, kind of like the, maybe the bullseye, if you will, that's like the most amount of God's authority on earth, okay? And as you move out from the center, there's less of God's authority in a person's life. So let's start with the local church, okay? This is by far the healthiest layer. Again, in regards to experiencing God's authority in a person's life, all right? Healthiest layer, a layer these are people who are fully submitted to God, God's word, and God's people, We've talked about this, brothers and sisters, mutual submission, authority responsible to and responsible for. That includes brothers and sisters, pastors and leaders, okay? This is, this, there's like there's clarity for everybody involved for what's going on. These are the people and these are the pastors I follow Jesus with. It's not assumed. Everyone's on the same page. All parties involved share the same commitments, okay? How are we gonna follow Jesus together? What strategies are we gonna implement? They're aware of each other's commitment level. So they know that their brother and sister's on the same page with them. There's clarity involved, okay? These are people who are on the same page about how they interpret God's word together. And that interpretation informs how they follow Jesus together. Again, you see there's authority everywhere with this. Following Jesus, he's the authority. Following God, he's the authority. Submitting to his word, he's the authority. People of God agreeing on the interpretation of the word that then they... Uh, submit to one another in light of that. They value the same things in light of God's word. These are people who experience all, hear me say this, all of the benefits of living under God's authority together. Okay? The next, the next kind of layer is, is the transitioning layer. Okay? These are people who typically have like prior experience with a local church somewhere. This is a good thing, okay? So they've either historically spent time in the church and then left, or just due to circumstances, they don't have a local church to belong to. So if you move to a new city, you don't know anybody yet, how are you going to belong to a church? Some of you have moved recently and you're new with us. Stoked you're here. You're kind of maybe in this season. That's great. Okay. Now, just to be totally blunt, this layer is not ideal. It's not but it's made up of both healthy and unhealthy disciples to Jesus. A healthy example would be someone who's transitioning towards the church. So they're they're transitioning towards more of God's authority in their life, okay? Now, the unhealthy uh, person in that sphere is someone who's transitioning away from the church, which means away, like less of God's authority in their life. Um, one of the things that I've found over the years of pastoring is like a, a, a common indicator of the unhealthy disciple in that transitioning layer is, is lukewarmness. 
So that's like, they're neither hot nor cold, right? There's like one foot inside the church and one foot outside the church. In other ways, they'll start to like behave one way around Christians and then like behave another way around non-Christians. So it's this idea of kind of split in between, okay? Uh, Here's the thing about the transitioning layer. A person doesn't stay in this layer for long. They're transitioning, either more of God's authority in their life or away and less of God's authority in their life, okay? And hear me say this. There are are really mature Christians sometimes that find themselves in this transitioning space, okay? But the, 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 the more mature disciple, they won't stay there long. Like if they move to a new city or something, they're finding the church ASAP. Now, a person in the transitioning layer, they may or may not yet be a Christian. Uh, when I say Christian, I mean, we talked about this. Christ, being a Christian is more than just like acknowledging that Jesus is God. Um, you've heard it say, just believe. Like the, James, the book of James says that the demons believe. Like there's a difference. It's more than just acknowledging that God is real or that Jesus is God or that he died for the sins of the world. There's something more. We talked about this, about how a Christian, the best definition is someone whom the spirit of God has taken up residence in. Like remember we talked about the new temple. If you haven't listened to that, I don't have time. Go listen to the message. But there's this beautiful reality of, of the spirit of God making his home in a person and informing that person's life, decisions, their behavior, everything, transforming us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. It's a long process. We screw it up along, a lot along the way, but that's what a Christian is, right? So this person may or may not yet be a Christian, but either way, either way, they're missing out on the full benefits of God's authority in their life. Uh, the next one, the disconnected layer. These are people, hear me, that appreciate Jesus, like, in fact, they, they endorse and even follow some of what Jesus teaches. But the key here with the disconnected layer, the person who finds themselves there, is, is they tend to pick and choose. They tend to pick and choose. So it's like, I like what Jesus commands about loving your enemy. I don't like what he commands about sexuality. That, like, sex is exclusively supposed to happen in marriage between one husband and their wife. Or vice versa. Like, I, I like what Jesus teaches and commands about sexuality, but I don't like this love your enemy crap. Picking and choosing, right? And oftentimes, people who are in this, in this space, they'll find themselves justifying living in unrepentant sin, which is like, I know this is sin. I know this is like, God says, don't do this because it's going to like not result in human flourishing and reject him and be bad for the people. And I know that, but I want to do it anyway. Doesn't mean you, hear me say this, we all sin, no matter what layer you're in. The people in the bullseye are sinning just as much as the people not. The difference is, is do we repent? Do we turn away from it? When we acknowledge it, like when Scott confronted me, oh crap, no, I don't want to do that. I'm repenting. The grace of God covers me and empowers me to do that. So these are people, they appreciate Jesus, but they aren't yet committed to submitting to him as their ultimate authority. And therefore, they have little to no meaningful connection to the church. And remember, the church is not an event. The church is a spiritual family living under God's good authority together. That's what it is. Um, the person in the disconnected layer, again, they, they may or may not yet be a Christian, 
And just to be clear, I want to, in case any of you guys are feeling like condemned, I spent a season in that layer, disconnected, when I was in full-time ministry. Okay? No judgment. These people, the people who are in that layer, they're almost entirely missing out on the benefits of God's authority in their life. And oftentimes, they are dangerously close to walking away from God altogether. And then the final, I guess you'd call it a layer, is the world. These are people who are not disciples of Jesus. Like he is not their king. He does not rule. He does not reign. Instead, sin rules and reigns. Sin is king. Sin is your, sin is your master. You can't say no to it. Um, therefore, these are people who are completely missing out on the benefits of God's authority in their life. Um, listen, I want to be clear here. God is sovereign over all of this. He's the king of the universe. He is sovereign over all. Just because a person is missing out on the benefits of God's authority doesn't mean God is not actually the authority. It just means you're missing out on it. In this diagram, I know it's like not the best thing in the world, but it outlines a person's level of experiencing the benefits of the kingdom of God. Some of you guys were with us last week and heard that group of people share some amazing stories of how they've experienced God, about how they've experienced some of the benefits of God's kingdom, of God's authority in their life and the fruit that comes from that, of what happens when you live his way. So, more of God's authority in the center, more of self-authority as you move out there, okay? My last point, I'm almost done. Why does this matter? Why does this even matter? Why does this, all this talk of authority matter? We talk about we're hitting the reset button as a church. We're hitting the reset button. Part of hitting the reset button is getting on this same page of who we really are, who we actually are, who our church actually is. Hear me, everybody is welcome. Like, not just welcome, like you're invited. There's a seat at the table for you, man. The, the party is not the same without you present. Everyone is welcome. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, I guarantee you there's a, there's a worse sinner in the room with you. We don't compare. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, everyone is welcome. But getting on the same page about who our church is, it requires knowing where each of us is at. No judgment, just understanding. So, where are you at? Like, to what degree would you say that you're currently living under God's authority? Where would you place yourself in the diagram? Humor me. Like, actually put yourself there in your mind. Where would you place yourself in the diagram? And let's take it a step further here. Where would others place you? I know this is silly, but this diagram can help us honestly assess the true authority in our life. Like, what's the true authority? And if you want to know what kingdom you're living in, just identify the king. God, 
or self. So listen, I have seen people, sadly, tragically, I've seen people claim Christianity and be in that disconnected layer for years. It's heartbreaking, man. They're missing out. They're so missing out. And on the flip side, I've also seen people who were like in the farthest outer layer, like just lost in the darkness and the pain of the world. I've seen them receive the gospel of Jesus in a moment and belong to the local church in the very same day. Listen to me. Just statistically, there are people in this room who are actively involved in Christian things. Like, maybe you're even actively involved in this local church. Maybe you're even part of a gospel community. But you aren't experiencing the full benefits of living under God's authority because if you're honest, you find yourself in one of those other layers. And you might be like, you know what, Tom? It sounds like you're saying that if a person isn't, fo- is it like, it sounds like you're saying that a, if a person isn't, like, isn't part of a local church, they're not f- fully living in God's authority. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I would actually take it further. I would say a person isn't fully living under God's authority if they aren't devoted to a local church. Specific people, specific pastors, specific discipleship strategies and specific values that are informed by God's word. We're going to preach on our values in the next six weeks. You'll hear more about them. But guys, remember, we talked about this in week one of this series. Spiritual maturity is not determined by how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been around church or how many Bible verses you know. It's determined by what you devote yourself to. And the person that's devoted to the local church is a person who is devoted to God in his ways. It's not my opinion, it's the scripture. Do they, are they devoted imperfectly? Absolutely. Those of you guys that have spent any time around our church, you know how radically imperfect all of us are. Yes, imperfectly, but devoted and committed nonetheless. Because we need to taste this grace, man. I don't know about you, I can't go more than five minutes without, if I have an honest assessment of, of myself going like, holy smokes, if you knew the thoughts that were going through my brain, none of you would want to be my friends. And the same thing's true of you. We're people who are desperate, hunger and thirst for the grace of God that will empower us and motivate us to live differently. Not because we've earned it, but because we didn't earn it. It's grace, baby. A person devoted to a local church is a person who's devoted to God and God in his ways. Imperfectly, yes. And that devotion and that commitment is expressed through submission to God, his word, his people, and ultimately his ways. Living that way is submitting to God's good authority. I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. Come on up. Dude, I'm so parched this morning. Can you hear it in my voice? All right, you guys doing all right? I'm almost done, I promise. There's a lot today. Here's my heart. Pastorally, I want you to experience something. Like I genuinely, I have an agenda, just so you know. My agenda is not to control you. My agenda is not to guilt you. My agenda is not to manipulate you spiritually. My agenda 
is I want you to experience every single benefit of living under God's authority because it's the best thing in the entire world. I don't know if you know this, but God gives direction not for your pain, not because he wants to control you and lord over you in a negative way. It's so that you can flourish. It's literally for your flourishing. But it's not just for you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says this, you, talking to the church, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, he says. This is Jesus speaking. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. Listen to this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. There's implications for how we live under God's authority and what that does to the world around us. It's light in a dark place. I love that when it says, I talk about this all the time, when it says you here, it's plural. Y'all. When it says your, it's y'alls. In other words, this idea of being light in a dark place, it's a group assignment. It's not an individual assignment. Let me read you another quote here quickly. One commentator says, uh, scripture clearly teaches that Jesus wants the world to know who belongs to him and who doesn't. And how is the world to know who belongs to him and who doesn't? This is how they are to see which people publicly identify themselves with his people in the visible public institution he established for this very purpose. They're to look at the members of his church. And if some people, listen, if some people claim to be part of the universal church, even though they belong to no local church, they reject Jesus's plan for them and his church. Jesus intends for his people to be marked out as a visible public group, which means joining together in local churches, end quote. Friends, a local church, it's not up there. You guys have to let, keep that up there. A local church is the environment that God has engineered for you to develop into the person he created you to be. It's an environment where people submit to God and each other where people experience the benefits of God's authority together. And it has a massive effect on the world around them. So allow me to kind of end where I started, okay? Who has authority in your life? Listen, if you're a Christian, if you're like, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. If you're a Christian, are there other specific Christians that you've given authority to in your life? Like I'm talking people and pastors. Again, not to control you or manipulate you or lord it over you, but to serve you. <laughs> are you giving people permission to serve you? That's my question. If not, you are missing out on one of the greatest benefits of living in God's kingdom. You're being deceived by the enemy. Remember, the purpose of authority in God's kingdom is what? To serve. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The purpose is service to others. 
And it's the beauty of how God and his people use authority in their everyday lives that bring light into a dark world. And hear me, it draws people in like a moth to a flame because it's what they were created for. It's not manipulation, it's love. So, maybe you're here and you're like, you're recognizing some areas, some ways that you're rejecting God's authority in your life. If that's happening, by the way, you need to know that's a miraculous work of the spirit of God in you right now. If things are coming to mind, it's a miracle. It's God through his spirit is literally like breaking into you and testifying to your spirit because he wants to free you from something. It's a miracle and it's happening right now. So oftentimes we think we're going to levitate off the ground and that's the spiritual reality. No, no, sometimes he just speaks to the deepest part of our heart. That's what the spirit does. So maybe you're here, you're recognizing areas where you're rejecting God's authority in your life, where you're living your way. And, and maybe you're transitioning away from the church. Or, or maybe you're disconnected. Like the gravitational pull of the world is pulling you away from God and his ways. even worse yet and tragically like you're, you're lost somewhere in that outer layer in the darkness of the world if any of that applies to you in any way I have really good news for you like epic news for you Mark chapter 2 15 through 17 while he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in Levi's house. Levi was a, basically a terrorist. Many tax collectors, that's tax collectors, like basically like terrorists, like think ISIS, exploiting their people bad. <clears throat> While he was at the table, <clears throat> excuse me, in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him, really jacked up people following him. When the scribes, who were Pharisees, these are religious leaders, saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, he asked his, they asked his disciples, why does he, Jesus, eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 17, here's the incredible news. Listen, when Jesus heard this, he told them, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, I came for the sinners. Listen to me. Every single person in this room, all of us, were sick with sin, rejecting God and his authority. That's what sin is, right? So listen, if you find yourself in that place, you are at the very center of the heart of Jesus Christ. His heart burns for you, man. Like, because it's the sinner he desires. It's the sinner that he longs for. It's the sinner that he came for. And it's the sinner that he's calling to himself. My favorite favorite verses in all of scripture, Romans 5, verse 8 says, but God proves his own love for us, proves his own love for us. How? And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to clean yourself up. Jesus, the Christ, the, the creator and king of the universe, he uses his ultimate authority to die for and rescue sinners. Jesus loves sinners, man. He loves them. He can't get enough. 
it's his love for the sinner that transforms them into a saint, into a person who is devoted to God in God's ways and who enjoys all the benefits of living under God's good authority. You get it? So what about you? What about you? You priceless, incredible, made in the image of God person, man or woman in this room, what about you? What's it gonna be for you? What kingdom are you gonna pledge allegiance to? The kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? There are glorious blessings that await you. Will you stand if you're able? I wanna pray for us. I just want to take a moment, listen to the Spirit if he wants to highlight something, and then I'll pray, okay? God is saying to some of you this morning the same thing he said to Jesus at his baptism. This is my son whom I love, who I love and whom I'm well pleased. That's for some of you this morning. This is my daughter whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Not because the amount of sin in or out of your life, but because he set his affection on you and he loves sinners. So listen, if, you, if you're in a space where you desire more of God's authority in your life, I wanna give you an opportunity right now, silently where you're at, to invite him, to ask him for it right now. If you want more of God's authority in your life, silently between you and him, ask him for it. You can't mess it up. Because of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. So Lord, we recognize your holiness. We recognize your crazy grace, your love for us and we desire more of your authority in our lives. We trust you. We want more of it. Help us, lead us, guide us, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, thank you for your grace that covers us when we mess up. 70 times, seven times, like a billion times, you invite us into experiencing all the incredible benefits of your good authority in our lives. We want more of it. Help us, Holy Spirit. We love you. Amen. Guess guys grab a seat close this out. So I've been thinking through what Tom was saying, especially the quote from Jesus about how he came for sinners, for those who are sick and not for those who are well. It hit me that I think a requirement of us moving forward together as community around the way of Jesus, the requirement's going to be humility. It's going to be the humility to say, 
for whatever reason, my relationship with authority is broken. And it could be because of X, Y, or Z. There's so many different reasons why. But there is this sense of acknowledging, of owning it in community that's going to be required for us to move forward. And so that, this is, I guess this is a charge. It's hard to know sometimes because this room is so diverse and I know so many of your stories. I don't know everybody's story obviously in the room, but I know many. And I know that the relationship with authority is so broken in so many cases. But at the end of the day, here's the beautiful reality. I was thinking about Adam and Eve. If you don't know the story, Adam and Eve were presented with God's authority in the beginning this beautiful life of living with God, of knowing him, of trusting and relying on his wisdom and his ways. And what did they choose? Self. And here we are. Here we are. The brokenness in this world is directly related to that. I want to be my own authority. But at the same time, we have Jesus, our humble savior, who said, not my will, but yours be done. And now he's paid for all of our sins and he's broken the power of it. And now he invites us into a lot of humility, humble service. But before we become humble servants or experience the fullness of that, we have to have the humility to say, this is where I'm at with authority. This relationship is broken. I've established my own authority. I'm trusting in my own wisdom, my own resources. I'm this, I've let broken authority in my life, whether that's my parents or whoever, dictate my relationship with authority that's not been healed so that might need, or spiritual authority or whatever it is. Man, I just want to ask you, like, will you do the work that's required to be honest with yourself and with other people so that you can experience healing and begin to experience the joy of the fullness of being a part of the local church under the authority of God, His Word, and under the mutual submission of his people. It's yours. But the doorway, the pathway through is humility. So I'm just going to leave you with that. I'm going to pray over our church. I'm going to leave you with that and tell you that we love you and we're here to help you. Tom and I, GC leaders, man, this is, this is so good to work out in gospel community. A safe place where we're learning how to walk out the wisdom of God through the Son of God with the people of God, understanding his word and his ways and what they mean for our lives. So Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you that even though our inheritance in Adam is self and destruction, I thank you that our inheritance now in Christ is a new way forward. That's beautiful. That's orderly. That's wise. That's under authority and being made new. Like we're people being made new in every way. And I thank you that that's ours. And I pray that as a church that we would have the courage to be honest with ourselves and with other people about where we're at with that today. Would you grant us the humility required to step into these things? Your word says that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. You came for the sick. God, would we have the courage to say, I'm sick, I'm not well, so that we can receive your grace that makes us well and then we can be people who are safe for others to experience your grace too. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Okay, guys, we are done. If you've got kids, go grab your kids. If you have questions about anything, we're going to be right here. I hope you guys enjoy the youth social for those of you that, that go on Saturday. I think it's going to be great. And happy Mother's Day.